All right, guys. Uh, welcome back to another episode of uh, Hundred Books a Year with Kevin. Uh, today, let's continue our uh, seven power seven power discussion. Let's talk about counter positioning. Um, so, what I mean is, is typically we see the incumbent respond um, either not at all or not or too late, right? So. Uh, the person who is already in power or the person who is already um, in the lead, they either ignore um, the uh, newcomers or they respond too late, right? Couple quick examples before we start. Uh, we're gonna dive into um, index funds, which which I think is really interesting. It, it, it talks about how Jack Bogle did it uh, back in the 70s. but. Um, for example, right, Apple is the newcomer and then Nokia was the incumbent. When when I was little, when I was growing up in China, like Nokia is is like the phone to get, right? Like um, every single year they have like like the slider. Um like all Chinese people are crazy about Nokia until Apple created the iPhone, right? Here in the US, uh, I think that example is Blackberry, right? Um, I I happen to be a BlackBerry fan when I was in China. Um, I did own a Nokia, I think I did. I don't really remember, but um, yeah, when I come I came to the U U S, my first couple of phones, or uh, or uh, you know uh, Blackberries in the beginning, and then I think I'm I used BlackBerry when I for the last for probably from the beginning for like almost seven years till college. Anyway. Um, second example, uh, Blockbuster as the incumbent, and then a new the a Netflix as the um, newcomer, right? So, um, pretty public a story, right? We don't need need to touch on it too much. Um, I do want to mention though, if you read um, No Rules Rules or That Will Never Work uh, by yeah, I think That Will Never Work by um, Mark Rudolph Randolph, who is the um, co-founders of um, Netflix. It's actually his idea and then, well, it's actually both of the idea, but Reed helped him build it, right? So you, when you read that book, it's very interesting. Uh, Blockbuster had them, right? And then uh, that was towards the end of, I think, 2008, 2009. I don't remember exactly when, but um, they were in a pricing war, right? Like if 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 the board of uh, Blockbuster agreed to lower their price, I think they already built up an online presence that time for Blockbuster. If if the board of directors allowed them to drop the time, uh, drop the price one last time, they had it. They they just did a checkmate on Netflix because Netflix doesn't have that that deep of a pocket. They cannot lower their price anymore without going bankrupt or cause some uh, liquidity issues. So that's very interesting. So that is an example of Blockbuster responding too late. And let's dive into today's example, index fund versus uh, actively traded funds. So actively traded funds have actually been around for a while, right? I think people start buying, you know, stocks, people start trading stocks like since since the beginning of time right like maybe 1800s maybe 1900s but when john bogle the founder of vanguard launched the first index fund in 1976 it did not get traction right away it grew really really slowly 
most people think about it as like a laughing sauce. Like, who will who will, will want to get that, right? Like it doesn't, you know, um, compete with us. Like you know, like we sometimes can outperform them, but when we do outperform it, it's like you know, like by a lot. Like who would you know uh, take their money to a index fund? So in the beginning, right, it's very very slow. Like in the beginning. By 1977, one year into the uh, Jack Bogle's index funds existence, um, they only have $17 million in uh, reserve, right? In management. That sounds like a lot, but it's really not that much. Um, And then that continued for about 10 years. So John Bogle's uh, mutual fund or index fund did not get any tractions for about 10 years in the beginning. And then... It started to pick up steam in 1987. There was a recession, right? I'm coming out of the 70s. And then it started picking up steam again in 1995. But when they hit the late, later stage of the 1980s, that's it. It was game over for the um, actively traded funds. It was too late for them to even respond. And it's really hard to argue, right? Um, and ever since I think the 80s, I, um, there's a chart on the, um, in the book. It says that the uh, cash flow to the actively managed fund has been declining ever since uh, John Bogle uh, reached its peak. Um, I think it was like 1986, 1987, roughly. So it has been declining ever since. So um, what kind of a power benefit are we talking about, right? So in this particular case, this is what we call counter positioning. I think we never really point point that out, right? So counter positioning means that as an industry leader, you need to position yourself to look at counter people, right? To look at newcomers from a different angle. So make sure that they don't pick up steam. Once they pick up steam, it might be too late for you to respond. So. For example, right, in that example where the index fund has a low cost uh, structure, right, it is a superior and it has a superior deliverable. But the actively traded group, right, those uh, stock pickers that formulate a fund, they laugh at the index uh, fund people, right? They did not take them seriously. So in that case, they're going to usually have a better product in terms of the power benefit. Now, also, um, one thing is they really have to have something key or something unique that they need to offer for the newcomers to really take on the uh, incumbent. So talking about the index fund, because of their business structure, they realize that the value from the market share gains are really, really real because they're mimicking the market. So it's not really like an artificially priced increase or charge more fees to get more money. They are really just trying to offer a product that can uh, that can set up with the money, uh, with the market, and kind of go from there. Now, what is the uh, power barrier? What can stop somebody from coming in? Right, like how can you stop the counter? Um, is that, in a sense, how how should we describe it? I think we should describe it as a collateral damage, uh, a situation where. If I don't act or adopt the new model, what would happen, right? If I, as a market leader, if I don't act or if I don't react, what's going to happen? But but a lot of that type of thinking is really, really dangerous because it's being 
driven or 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 it's being um in a sense blinded by human bias right and pretty modern example for you guys real quick um i pulled a trigger on index fund i think like a couple years ago but um there was this, this product called Fidelity Zero, right? This is not a not a um, advertisement. This is not a uh, quote unquote, um, what's the term? A uh, financial advice. This is just what what I do is my opinion, right? We all know that Vanguard has about a three trillion dollars under their index fund right now, which is huge, right? The biggest uh, amount of cash reserve in management right now. So Fidelity came up with this zero. So it literally costs no money to uh, put money in that account. So in a sense that they're not making any money from this at all, they're probably losing money on this, but they are using this to gain some uh, tractions against the big behemoth named Vanguard, right? So what's gonna happen, right? Would Vanguard come up with a zero index fund? Probably not, I don't think so. But um, I think Fidelity as a newcomer will actually challenge that and maybe both of them will leave room for, uh, you know, like robo-investing with tax loss harvesting, tax loss harvesting, uh, harvesting and other uh, robo-advisors feature. So we'll see. We'll see how Vanguard will respond. They probably will not come up with a zero-cost fund. I don't think so. So... It comes to this question, right? Can a challenger ever succeed, right? The answer by the author is maybe. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very hard, right? So it, it really comes down to these two points. And as a market leader, you want to make sure that you understand these two points. And as a newcomer, you want to make sure that you understand these two points as well. So the first point is, if the challenger's appro- uh, approach is novel and unproven, filled with uncertainty, Right, because if you think about it, the market leader really has uh, pretty much almost perfect information about the market because they've been in it longer, they've operated in it longer, they have a lot of uh, process knowledge. So it really like like hard to find a blind spot in their thinking, right? So, but that is kind of what the newcomers has to do. And secondly, they if the newcomer wants to succeed, they need to have a successful business model, right? They cannot just, I'm just, just going to go up a limb and then maybe do a crazy example. They cannot just stay unprofitable forever, right? And they're, they, they need to turn a profit. Um, but in terms of the successful business model, the newcomers need to stay in the game for longer term in order for them to get at least some kind of traction in that market that they're not dominating in, right? So... Counterpositioning, something really, really interesting. I think we talk about it coming from two different perspectives. Um, it's really hard and it's, it's really like intri- uh, important for the incumbent, for the market leader to take a look at this and then uh, really be mindful of the new newcomers and be mindful of their, mind, uh, of their blind spot. All right, guys, perfect. This is the third power. We, we just talk, uh, finished talking about it. And tomorrow we're going to go into power four. Okay.